Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want to, um, so, so um, I want us to kind of get going in Deuteronomy, but I think the, the way to do that is I want you to, uh, I want to um, show you how Deuteronomy impacts familiar stories and things that you probably have heard. So uh, turn to uh, John, John chapter 8. Um, John chapter 8 is, um, so uh, you, you probably have uh, in your Bible, uh, starting with John 7, 53, um, down through chapter 8, verse 11, you, pro you, you have, probably have something in your Bible that Makes a note, has brackets around it or something like that. Is, do you see that? Does everybody see that? Um, yes, no. Does anybody not have that? John 8, uh, 753 through 811. Don't have that? Okay, brackets, no brackets. Um, okay, so, um, so here's, if you, if you have a, a note, uh, it may say something like, um, yeah, that John seven fifty three through eight eleven is not found in most of the old manuscripts. Many ancient manuscripts read, um, uh, you know, that, uh, other. Uh, this story kind of floats around in in the the um, in the oldest copies of the Bible that we have. Okay. Sometimes it's there. Sometimes it's not. Um, and so when. We call this in the seminary what we call this textual criticism. Okay, well, let's talk about this for just a minute. Uh, there's okay. So everybody see what's going on. So the question is: Is this supposed to be in the Bible or not? That's that's the question. Is this story was this story actually included when John wrote John, or was it not? Was it added later or something like that? Okay, there are two passages in the New Testament where this is an issue here and uh, Mark chapter 16. Okay. Uh, so if you turn over to Mark chapter 16, you'll probably have the same notation. Um, where does the, where does Mark's gospel and when did Mark quit writing? Okay. Now remember that we, we believe that the Bible is, inspired and inerrant in the autographer. What does that mean? Um, in the original writing. Okay. So one of the, uh, we've got uh, almost 6,000 copies of New Testament manuscripts. Okay. We don't have any of the originals. We don't have the original letter that Paul wrote to the Romans. We have copies of copies of copies of copies of copies. Okay. Uh, and so uh, and, and of the 6,000 New Testament manuscripts, this is all just background to introduce you. Um, um, they don't all agree. They don't all read the same. Okay. This is, uh, this, this is mushrooming, but that's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix it. Okay. Just, just stick with me. In the New Testament, okay, um, this matters. In the Old Testament, not so much. I'll explain that. So let me talk about uh, the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament, what you're looking at in front of you. Uh, does anyone in here have King James Bible? Okay, King James. New King James, King James. Yeah. Um, in the, so let's talk about our different versions or translations of the Bible, of the Bible. Okay, when we talk about the Bible, we say, which Bible? Okay. Because we don't have any of the original manuscripts in the New Testament or the Old Testament, right? So what are we actually looking at? Let's talk about the Old Testament first. In the Old Testament, um, there is one complete Hebrew manuscript that has all of the Hebrew Old Testament Bible books, okay? All 39. We'll, we'll say 39. That's not actually how they count the books, we don't count the books the same. They count First and Second Kings as one book. First and Second Chronicles as one book. First and Second Samuel as one book. And then the Minor Prophets as one book. 
Okay, uh, you know, so so you've got the, the um, but but the, it's the same books. No matter how you count them, it's it's the same material is in um, in the Old Testament. Okay, um, what you're looking at in uh, in in what all of the King James, New American Standard, ESV, you know, all of them, they all translate from this one manuscript that dates to 1008 A.D. A thousand years after the birth of Christ is our oldest Hebrew, complete Hebrew manuscript. Okay? So, um, the oldest, um, so, so we've got Hebrew manuscripts, right? Hebrew manuscripts of the Old Testament. Uh, and the oldest is 1008 AD. We had one that was uh, about... Uh, 946, so what is that, 50 some odd years earlier, 60, whatever that math is. Uh, call it, called, uh, this is called the Leningrad Codex. You don't have to know this, uh, just, just kind of let it, you know. There's an old one called the Aleppo Codex. It was partially burned in, a, in the Seven Day War um, in the Temple in Jerusalem, okay, um, in the 40s. Uh, so this is the oldest manuscript we have. So. Uh, because we want to know what did the original say, right? And remember Moses, uh, when we're thinking Moses, we're thinking 1500 BC. So that's 2,500 years, right? So the Septuagint, the, the uh, we, we, LXX, that's, that's 50, 10, 10. So it's, we call it the Septuagint. It's 70 scholars. Um, we're assigned scholars, whatever. Um, Jewish leaders who knew the Old Testament scriptures were assigned to turn the Hebrew text into the Greek text, give a Greek translation, uh, starting in around 400 BC. Okay, so 400 BC that takes us back, you know, over a millennium. Okay, uh, and so you know it's it's you know let's just say 200 BC is 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 when this is completed, right? The Dead Sea Scrolls. Remember the Dead Sea Scrolls? This was a discovery that was found. Uh, when we went to Israel, we went to Qumran, okay? These take, these are all of the Hebrew manuscripts are there. Uh, parts of every single book, except for Esther, uh, was found. Uh, and these date back to about this time. They take us back before the, so, so, so these, these are Hebrew manuscripts, and they take us back before, uh, you know, to this time. So that, so that moves our Hebrew text back over a thousand years. But all of your King James, New King James, in a, they're all translating this text, okay? And this text uh, has errors in it. And the copyist who copied that text noted out on the side the errors that they knew were there. Okay. Um, can I show you a, a spot where this type of thing shows up? Uh, turn to Judges chapter 18. Judges chapter 18. I'm going somewhere with this, so just stick with me. This is uh, 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 Judges chapter 18. Um, and I want to look at verse uh, 30. And yep, see that verse about Moses? Okay. Uh, and um, Uh, and Manasseh, and uh, and we so, so we talked about that last week, right? So Manasseh, Moses, you know. So, uh, so so what we said was that in um, that is M S H H. It goes this way, Moshe. Okay, um, the Hebrew text put an N right there over the. The, the, the manuscript puts an N right there. So uh, Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses, is literally, right? But they put a noon right there, an N there. Manasseh. 
right? And it turns it into Monmoche, Manasseh, right? Um, we know that this was, that Moses was the original, both because of how it shows up and, um, uh, and we know the book of Exodus, that uh, Gershom was the son of Moses, not the son of Manasseh, okay? Mo, uh, so so that's, those are the types of things that we're trying to figure out because we want it to be original. Some of your translations will say Manasseh because uh, the translators are saying, look, we're not doing any work here. We're not, we're not going to you know, compare all of these different manuscripts. To this, you can add the Aramaic, um, the, the, um, uh, the, the, the Samaritan Pentateuch. You can add uh, the Aramaic Targumim. You can add older or you know, newer. There's a bunch of stuff here that you got to try to figure out what's, what was most likely the original. If your translation says Manasseh, they're just saying, we're just translating this and you figure it out for, your own, for yourself. Okay. Right. Um, and so some people, um, critics of the Bible, make a lot of hay by pointing out the, quote, contradictions in the Bible. Well, um, it's not contradictions in the Bible. It's just you're, the translator. The, everybody knows that's not what it originally said, but, but the copyists were copying what was on the page, not what they knew to be on the previous. Does that make sense? Okay. And so this is not an issue. Now, when we get to the New Testament, we have a lot more New Testament texts than we do Old Testament texts, 6,000 of them. Okay. Um, and so, um, so there's people, um, one of the guys that, that are, seminary, Dan Wallace, his whole life is to go around and try to find Greek manuscripts and photocopy them uh, and compare them to what we know, the, the manuscripts we have, okay? Now, one, there's two philosophies when we come to the New Testament, two groups. One is the King James. Uh, the other is basically everybody else, okay? Now, what's the difference? Um, Everybody else says that older is better. If we've got 6,000 manuscripts and, and we know by uh, what they were written on, you know, kind of how they were, you know, if it's, if it's like leather parchment, um, then that can be dated, you know. Um, uh, and so, so we know kind of which ones come first, which ones are earlier, which ones are earlier. And if all of the earlier texts read one way, and then at some point, something is it's Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And every text after that, or most texts after that say Jesus Christ, our Lord, but none before that do. Um, then the Newer Rankin Standard, NIV, ESV, all of them except for the King James says, you know what? Um, it probably didn't say Jesus Christ, our Lord. It probably just said Jesus Christ, and it was added later. Or there was a copyist mistake or something like that, okay? Uh, and so uh, there's, we're now to the, we call it the Nestle Allen 28th edition, right? Uh, that we are now on. Do you see this here? Uh, where'd you go? So why do some people say that King James is the only... Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. We'll get, okay, so you see this, it says... Uh, the uh, Nestle Holland Greek New Testament 28th edition. So every time they find new manuscripts and all this stuff, they go back and they say, okay, does this help us? Because we're trying to figure out what the original said. Does that make sense? So now we're to the 28th edition. Right? Um, so that's one group. And so now your Bible... It's probably not a translation of the 28th edition, because that's, uh, unless you have the King James, it's definitely not. Um, it's probably a translation of the 27th edition or 26th edition or something. But there are people who devote their whole lives to saying, Did it, is this uh, in uh, Romans 5.1, is that a short O or a long O? Is, which would translate, which would change the translation from we have peace to let us have peace. Right? They spent their whole life on whether it was a short O or a long O because it makes a difference, you know, 
right? Bless their hearts, okay? Someone's got to do it. I'm glad it's not me, okay? Um, now, in the Old Testament, it doesn't matter. Pick the one you like. I would say in the Old Testament, the King James is probably the most literal word-for-word -word translation of the Old Testament, King James, Old Testament. If you can read it, if, if thou mightst uh, uh, understandeth it, <laughs> okay? <laughs> um, in the New Testament, uh, the King James, um, they use what's called the majority text, okay? Now, what does that mean? It means that it's not the earliest that wins, it's the most attested that wins. So, the, so if most of the manuscripts read one way, that's what we're going with. Well, the problem with that is the later you get, the more copies you have, right? And so, um, and the earlier, so it's not just that simple. The earlier you get, the more likely it was found in the desert too, right? And so most of our later manuscripts come from the, region of Mesopotamia, the Fertile Crescent, where there's green stuff and leather rots, okay? So if leather rots there, uh, you probably aren't going to have an older manuscript there. It's more likely you're going to find an older manuscript in the desert down in the south, okay? Good question, David. Yes. Like, his copyright, he's King James. Yep. Is, Yes. So does that mean we need to go out and get a more current King James if he wants to? No, 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 okay. no. Uh, no. Uh, the 1611 was the original King James, and they've updated the language so, so thou mightest understandeth it better. You know, they're 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 still they're still translating the same manuscripts. Okay. Um, but they're updating the language a bit. Okay. To help you understand. It. Yeah. yeah. You said it for New Testament reading. Uh, um, whatever, yeah, yeah. Not the, the New Living Translation Surfer's Edition, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Or the message, like, Jesus is awesome, man. And he'll like, bless you, dude. You know, okay, it's a little too loose, you know. It's probably a little too loose. Uh, NAS, New American Standard, uh, ESV. Um, NIV, uh, more probably an older NIV, translate, yeah. Um, ASV, RSV. What do you have? Um, I have, this is a New American Standard. Um, duct it's the second one. Not because I particularly am fond of the New American Standard, but because I know where things are on the page of this one. So I've got uh, my NA27, which I know where things are on the page. My BHS, which is my Hebrew. Uh, and so I'm trying to get used to using the computer. The problem is every time you put a computer on a computer screen, it's a different spot on the page. It drives me crazy. <laughs> kind of like those people in Zoom. They move around like they're crazy. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, just not. Uh, so, okay, so, so are, are we, is this helping? Okay, so the question then is, is this story supposed to be in the Bible or not? Okay. I say, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay, now, why would it not be included? Because it contradicts what's already been written. Okay, so so the, the story in John chapter 7, uh, starts in 753 uh, and goes to 811, is the story of the adulterous woman. Okay? And uh, you know how this story ends. Jesus says, uh, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Okay. Um, I want you to think about that. So is Jesus saying that the qualifications for throw for stoning someone is you have to be sinless? If that's the case, then no one was could ever be stoned in the Old Testament. In fact, the instruction to stone someone in the Old Testament is um, uh, is errant, is is uh, is a violation of Jesus's standard. Does that make sense? Okay. Um. And it doesn't make sense with any other part of the Bible. You, you don't confront your brother with sin. You have to be sinless to confront your brother with sin. So what do we do with this? Okay. Uh, and so the struggle uh, is how are we to understand what's going on in this story? If it's supposed to be there, it can't contradict Scripture. Right? 
And since it apparently does, I think that's why many copyists left it out. Okay. So, but, so let's, let's talk about this. Okay. So, so let me, let, let's read John chapter eight. Uh, and then, well, uh, which, what's the best way to do it? Let's do it this way. Uh, I want you to turn uh, to Deuteronomy. So let's go through, through some Old Testament passages. I want you to uh, look at Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18, uh, verses 15 through 19. I've got these written down up here. Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 19. Uh, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. This is Moses talking to Israel. From your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. And this is according to all that the Lord your God in Horeb uh, ask of you. In the, uh, I'm sorry, this, this is according to all that you ask of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let us not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. And let me not see his great fire anymore, lest I die. And so the Lord said to me, you have spoken well. Verse 18. So I, the Lord, will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen, Israel, like you, Moses. And I will put my words in his mouth, and, you shall, uh, and he shall speak them, to them all that I command him. And it shall come about that whoever does not listen to the, my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Okay. Um, all right, so you're looking for this prophet, this greater prophet who's going to come on the scene and speak the words of Moses. Okay? Um, in the Gospel of John, you remember right at the beginning, John chapter 1, uh, the Pharisees uh, uh, send an entourage to John the Baptist, and they ask him some questions. Are you the Christ? No. Are you the prophet? I am not. Are you Elijah? No. Then who are you? Okay. Are you the prophet? They were asking, are you the, this prophet? Okay. All right. Hold on to that. Uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. Okay. So, so what we're doing here is we're educating ourselves on the law. Okay. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin, which he has committed but on the evidence of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be confirmed. If a malicious witness rises up against a man to accuse him of wrongdoing, then both the man, uh, then both men who have the dispute shall stand before the Lord, before the priests, and before the judges who are in office in those days. And the judges will investigate thoroughly. And if a witness is a false witness, that is a malicious witness, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him just as he intended to do to his brother. And thus you shall purge this evil from among you. And the rest will hear it and be afraid and will never again do such a thing. Have you ever heard the verse, eye for eye, tooth for tooth? This is it. All right, next verse. Thus you shall show no pity. To who? To the false witness, to the malicious witness who tried to uh, testify falsely against his, bro his brother and get his brother brought into judgment. So that which he, he, he sought for his brother, uh, get his brother killed to get his brother judged, you pour out that judgment on him and you shall show no pity to him. Life for eye, life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Is making sense? Okay, now, malicious witness. Um, um, this, uh, I was... I met with a met with a pastor over the break, and he was saying that um, uh, that's hey, there's stuff bouncing off there. Well, I got an old junkie truck. What y'all got? <laughs> anyway, uh, it's not bad. It's little. You're fine. Um, can't do anything about it now. Um, it's like Sonic Ice, yeah. So I was talking to a pastor uh, over the break, and he said he started his church about 20 years ago. Uh, and, and his church started with people about 10 years older than, than him and about 10 years younger than him. And he's been there for 20 years, and so now he's about 55, and so now his church is 65 to 45, right? 
Well, uh, I'm looking at y'all and I'm going, uh, yeah, except for Luke. And, and uh, yeah, um, Roger, yeah, you're all, uh, how old are you? 33, yeah. Two Reese, yeah. So there's, there's some outliers. But for the most part, we're a bunch of old folks, okay? Now, um, in fact, to prove my point, I forgot my point. <laughs> I knew I was going somewhere with that. I have no idea. Malicious witness. Here we go. Malicious witness. All right. So those of us who are older, you know this word for malicious. Uh, malicious witness. It is Hamas. The terror group Hamas. Um, uh, it is a Hamas aid. Aid is a witness. Uh, a, a malicious witness. A, a witness of terror. Um, he seeks uh, judgment upon his brother, right? I love it when Hamas says, no, we're not a terrorist group. What does your me uh, name mean? Um, terror. <laughs> Only an idiot who doesn't know the language would, would buy that one. You know, it's, it sells him. Anyway. All right. So malicious witness. Okay. Uh, if you falsely charge your brother or your sister or someone else, and you try to get them judged, then that which you were seeking for them, you get. All right? That's a false accusation or just a... It could be real, but you're seeking what the person's Uh, Yeah, that would be a... That, in other words, you're not seeking what's best for your brother. You're seeking to bring him into judgment. So that, that would be... Um, that could be a true accusation. Um, this, this is more... Um, yeah, yeah. This is more uh, an issue of intent. You're trying to get your brother judged. Okay. All right. Um, Deuteronomy 22. Flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Um, verses 22 through 24. 22, 22 through 24. If a man is found lying with a married woman, both of them shall die. The man uh, who lay with the woman and the woman, thus you shall purge uh, uh, the evil from Israel. If there's a girl who is a virgin engaged to a man, and another man finds her in a city and lies with her, you shall bring both of them out into the gate of the city, and there you shall stone them to death. The girl, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he has violated his neighbor's wife, thus you shall purge this evil from among you. Okay? Moses says that we are to stone such a one. What do you say, Jesus? Okay. This is where they're getting it from. Um, Deuteronomy chapter uh, 9. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9. Uh, this is where uh, the Lord writes uh, the law on the tablets with his finger. Okay, Deuteronomy 9.10. Um, uh, gave me two tablets, he wrote. So this is God writing the tablets uh, with his finger. Right. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy 17, verse 7. Deuteronomy 17, verse 7. Uh, let's pick it up in verse 6. On the evidence of two witnesses, or three witnesses, uh, he who is to die shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witness shall be the first against him. Uh, I'm in Deuteronomy 17, verses 6 and 7. Okay? On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, a man is to be put to death. He shall not be to be put to death on the evidence of one witness. Uh, and this is the point. The hand of the witness, the eyewitness, shall be the first against him to put him to death. And afterwards, the hands of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Okay? So, um, so the eyewitness had to be the first, but he had to be qualified. To cast the first stone. That is, he could not be a malicious witness. Right? Good? Okay. Uh, chapter 19, verses 16 uh, through 20. Let's finish this up. Well, we already read it. Finish it up. Okay. So, all right. So, we good? All right. Now, let's go read John's story. John chapter 7, verse 53, into chapter 8. Get over here. Come on. All right. Let's see what's going on here. 
Jesus uh, went to the Mount of Olives, 8-1. And early in the morning, he came again into the temple. And all of the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach. This is the greater Moses. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Well, the first question is, uh, where's the man? Okay. Now, in the law of Moses, it has commanded us that we should stone such a woman. What then do you say? Now, if Jesus says, well, we don't keep the law of Moses, then that makes him a false prophet. If he says stoner, um, then he is taking judgment into his own hands and, and Rome's going to come down on him. You can't just stone people in the streets of Rome. Right? So he's going to have to overthrow Rome to execute the law. And while they were saying this, test, uh, I'm sorry, um, and they were saying this, testing him in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. Okay, so they bring the woman to him, and they present themselves as they're the prosecuting attorney, right? Where is, uh, where's Julie when we need her? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, the defense attorney, right? Uh, she's the defendant. The prosecutors are the Pharisees, and Jesus is the judge. That's how this, the courtroom is set up, okay? Is that actually what's going on? No. Who's actually under... Under trial, I'm on trial. Jesus is on trial. They're still the prosecutors, and she's just a prop. What's their motivation for bringing the woman before Jesus? To trap Jesus, which makes them a malicious witness. Yeah. And when they were saying this, they were testing him in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground. And man, that's a... There are these loophole verses where you can preach anything you want and make it up, right? He, yeah, he wrote, uh, you know, I don't know whatever. He, we don't know what he wrote, right? Whatever he wrote garnered the response of the next verse. Is that fair? Right. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone. Well, what's he saying? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, let's let's investigate this thing. Okay. Uh, he who is without sin. What does he mean by that? You got to be perfect to throw stones. No, no. He's saying you got to be qualified as a witness. All right. So, what's your motivation? Do you have sin in this? Uh, is your desire a pure one, or is your desire a sinful one? And if your desire is to bring judgment against your brother, me, uh, then, all right, let's go down the trail. You're seeking uh, to bring me into judgment, to have me stoned as a false witness, as a false prophet. That means if you're a malicious witness uh, and we're going to start throwing stones, who gets the first thrones, the stone thrown at them? You do. Okay. So if you are without sin in this instance, in this case, you throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and... Now, my guess is what he's writing is the law. Is that a picture of God writing on your tablets? Uh, yeah, I think he, what he's doing is he's, he's saying, uh, let me remind you of some verses. I don't have a tablet with me. I don't have a grease board. So let me write them for you, right? He stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, did you catch that? When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone. And the woman, uh, with the woman, where, where she was in his midst. And he straightened up and said to her, uh, Jesus said, woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, then neither do I commend you. Uh, go your way. From now on, sin no more. Now, um, was she caught in the act? Uh, it's unclear. Um, it, uh, let, let's say that she was. They said that she was. Let's say that she was caught in the very act. Can Jesus stone her? Why not? 
because he's not the eyewitness. So the eyewitness has to be the first to stone her, right? But to stone her, the eyewitness has to be a uh, valid witness, can't be a malignous, uh, a malicious witness, right? And, and so, I mean, this is a this is a court case. It helps to have a lawyer around, right? Uh, and the Pharisees and the scribes are lawyers, and they're testing Jesus on the law. They're saying Moses says we do this. We got you, Jesus. What do you say? All right. Sermons always not really go to because be, generally because we're a bunch of Gentiles, we don't know the law, right? Um, now, in the section of John, this is in the section of John, uh, where Jesus uh, there they keep testing Jesus according to Moses. Uh, go back to, to John chapter 5, verse 39. Well, he's, yeah, stop being an adulterous woman, probably. So, 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 yeah, so probably what's going on is she was caught in the act. Uh, the man wasn't there. Uh, they were malicious witnesses. So they couldn't cast the first stone. They were disqualified. If they pressed the case, they, they die too. Because they're, they're bringing, and this is why John points out, they were doing this in order to have cause to, to, to bring Jesus under judgment, see? So they're malicious witnesses, right? Um, so if they press this, they can't cast the first stone because they're malicious witnesses. And as the case continues, now they're going to bring themselves into judgment. Now, Jesus can't cast the first stone, or no one else can, other than the eyewitness against her, because you have to be an eyewitness. But since the eyewitness was a malicious witness, they disqualified themselves, Right? So who is there to condemn you? She says, no one, Lord. Then go and send no more. Does that make sense? Right. All of this was an effort to test Jesus on the law. And of course, he wins. Now, um, in John chapter 5, this, this whole section is showing Jesus as the greater Moses. Okay, And, uh, and the Pharisees uh, are arguing with Jesus. And John, uh, John records this in John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus speaking to these, uh, these Pharisees. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is these that bear witness of me. And you're unwilling to come to me that you may have life. Right? Verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses. In whom you have placed your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for Moses wrote of me. Moses wrote of the greater prophet, Jesus. Uh, what's condemning them is not Jesus, it's Moses. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Does that make sense? Okay. So do you see how understanding the law helps you understand the Gospels? It, it, this, this is just one example in one story. This, twisting it to serve their own yes, they, they are twisting it to serve their own purposes, and Jesus catches them in it, right? Uh, thus validating himself and invalidating their ministry, their, what, what they're seeking to do. Okay, is that, is that making sense? Okay. This is all of the time. Um, all, all through the, the scriptures, the New Testament, the Old Testament, this, uh, this happens, okay? Um, uh, let's see. How about another uh, another example? Um, uh, where's a good one? Turn to Deuteronomy chapter ten. Deuteronomy chapter ten. Uh, let's do Deuteronomy chapter ten and Deuteronomy chapter fifteen, and let's talk about James. End of James chapter one and James chapter two. Okay. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all of his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong the heavens and the heavens of the heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them. 
and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all the peoples, as it is to this day. Uh, this reminds Israel, um, which is uh, something that Moses has already said back in chapter 9. Uh, Do not say in your heart, when the Lord your God has given you the land and you drive out the enemies, that it is because of our righteousness or our uprightness that the Lord has done this. It is because of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord is driving them out in order to confirm the oath he made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Not because you're righteous, but because of his oath and because of their wickedness. So no, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord is giving you this land because you are a stubborn people, right? So the Lord uh, chose to set it. The, the Lord is the, uh, he's the, 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 um, uh, he is uh, the Lord of Lords, the, the, uh, the, the, the God of gods. He uh, owns the heavens and the heavens of the heavens and the earth and all its end. He does what he wants, when he wants, and he runs the whole show. Yet on your uh, fathers did he choose to set his affection. Why? Because they deserved it? Uh, no. Because he just picked them. And their descendants after them, even you, Israel, as it is to this day. So, circumcise your heart. Or, um, literally, it is to, to circumcise the foreskin of your heart. See, you're, you're doing circumcision, uh, but that's not the only thing that needs to be circumcised. Uh, you need to circumcise your heart. Um, pause there. Um, do you remember in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus says, if your hand causes you to stumble, what do you do? You, you cut it off. If your eye causes you to, to stumble, uh, you cut it out. Now, um, see, if your, eye, if your hand causes you to steal, well, here's the problem. Hands don't cause people to steal. It's not like you, you know, can't control it. It's not taking stuff. You know, that's not what it does, right? And your eye doesn't cause you to lust. Blind men lust. Blind people lust. One-armed men steal. Two, no armed men steal. <laughs> okay. The problem isn't with your hand or with your eye. It is your Heart. So if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye causes you to stumble, cut it out. But if your heart causes you to stumble, circumcise your heart. You see what he's doing? Sermon on the Mount, right? Um, so this is a hard problem. Uh, circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great and mighty God, the awesome God. Awesome. Um, I was telling the students the other night, uh, we went to Mexican food place the other night, and the queso was awesome. Okay, no. Queso isn't awesome. That's how we talk. <laughs> that car is awesome. No, cars aren't awesome. Uh, the word is, uh, comes from nara, to, to strike fear. When people see the messengers of this God, they hit the dirt. When Jesus uh, appears to John in, in Revelation chapter 1, remember this? He hits the dirt. And every time, the Lord then says, do not fear. The appropriate response is hit the dirt. <laughs> right. And then the Lord says, do not fear. Right. This is the mighty God, the awesome God, the, the God that strikes fear. He runs it all. Yet he executes justice for the orphan and for the widow and for the alien. Why? This is the, the height of the height, the, the power, the all-powerful one who runs it all, has set his affection on, executes justice for the lowest of the low. Those who can do nothing for him. Nothing in return. Because he does not show partiality, he doesn't take a bribe. Show partiality, that's how it's translated. He doesn't lift up his face to anyone. He's not impressed by anybody. 
No one has anything to offer him. He's not impressed by the rich man who's rich, nor by the poor man who's poor. When the rich man walks into the church, he doesn't say, here, sit in the nice place. And the poor man walk into the church, he says, sit here at my footstool. He's not impressed. And he doesn't take a bridle. You have nothing to offer him. You have nothing to barter with. He can't be bought. And he can't be bribed. Which is why he sets his affection on the orphan and the widow and the alien. He executes justice for the orphan, the widow, and he shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So you show your love for the alien, or you were aliens in the land of Egypt. You didn't have anything, and he came in there and saved you. So you shall fear the Lord your God, and you shall serve him, and you shall cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. He is your praise. He is your God. He is the one who has done great and awesome things, which your eyes have seen. The exodus, the plagues, the deliverance, the Passover lamb, the angel of death, uh, the pillar of fire, all of the judgments in the wilderness. You saw it all, right? So you fear that God. Turn over to chapter 15, Deuteronomy chapter 15. Remember all this, we're heading towards James chapter 1, James chapter 2. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant remission of debt. Instruction to Israel. And this is the manner of the remission. Every creditor shall release what he has loaned to his neighbor, and he shall uh, not exact from his neighbor or from his brother, because the Lord's remission has been reclaimed. Does the Lord forgive your debts? Then you forgive your brother's debts. Right? Now, from a foreigner, from a Gentile unbeliever who has not experienced the Forgiveness of the Lord, exact it, but not from your brother. However, there shall be no poor among you, since the Lord your God shall surely bless you in the land which the Lord is giving you to uh, as an inheritance to possess. Now, it's important that we remember our definitions of bless and when that blessing happens. Okay, uh, The gods of the nations promise blessing now. Israel is looking for a future blessing blessing in the land. Well, they're in the land. They're about to take the land. Uh, in Psalm 37, David writes that Psalm and they're already in the land. And he says, the righteous will inherit the land. Well, they're in the land. No, no, no. They weren't talking about this land. Now we're talking about this land forever. Resurrection of the dead, eternal life in the kingdom. Right. Nope, nope, let's keep reading. Let me uh, jump down to verse 11. Let me show you verse 11. Therefore, the poor shall never cease to be among you. Wait a second. I thought there were going to be no poor in the. How do we get from what's he talking about between 4 and 11? Does that make sense? Let's, let's read it. If only you listen obediently to the voice of the Lord your God and observe carefully all this commandment which I am commanding you today. For the Lord your God shall bless you as he has promised. And you will lend to the nations and you will not borrow. You will rule over the nations and they will not rule over you. But if there's a poor man uh, with, uh, with you, one of your brothers, in any of the towns in the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand to your poor brother. But you shall freely open your hand to him, and you shall generously lend, catch that language, lend to him sufficient for whatever it is he lacks. Now beware, lest there be this base thought in your heart saying the seventh year is near, right? You're at, you're at year six, day 345, okay? And you're going, um, this is not going to work out well, because what's going to happen, see, is I'm going to lend him, and here in a few weeks, I'm not getting it back. And my lend turned into a gift. <laughs> right? Beware. 
Lest there be this, be this base thought in your heart, saying the seventh year, the year of remission is near, and your eye is hostile towards your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And then he will cry out to the Lord against you, and it will be sin in you. No, you shall generously uh, uh, give to him. Did you see how it went from lend to give? Give to him. And your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work and in all of your undertakings. For the poor shall never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying you shall freely open your hand to your brother, uh, to your needy, and to the poor in the land. Right? Um, Psalm 37, we, I mentioned that a few minutes ago. Psalm 37 uh, talks um yeah, um, we're working on it. Uh, Psalm 37 says this. Let me, let me, uh, says uh, the, um, uh, the wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. Catch that? The wicked borrows and doesn't give back. If you're a wicked uh, person, wicked poor guy, could you take advantage of that law? Sure you could. You just, just, Wait it out. Don't pay your brother back. Let the seventh year come and your debts are forgiven. Right? Uh, but the righteous man is generous and gives. Did you catch that? He's not concerned about it. Poor man's wicked, not going to repay me. It's okay. Why is that okay? When will he be repaid? Yeah. At the end. Right? The Lord gives. Um, well, let's play this game. Do you do you take advantage of the Lord's gifts? Yeah. So he says, well, then I'm just not going to give you anymore. Now, see, he gives graciously. You give graciously. Um, and don't be worried about getting it back. It's not coming back. And even if it comes back, it doesn't matter. It's not yours anyway. It's not yours anyway. And ultimately... It doesn't matter. You're going to the grave. So don't be concerned about being paid back temporarily with, best I can tell, cash, money bills that aren't worth the paper they're printed on to buy junk you don't need. How's <laughs> this phrase go? To buy junk you don't need to impress people you don't like. <laughs> you know, <whatever. laughs> However that, that saying goes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a lot of truth in that, right? <laughs> uh, so don't worry about it. The Lord sees. The Lord will repay. Right? Now, here's what's going on in the book of James. Um, these, uh, these people, these believers, Jewish believers, are holding their faith in their glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. And James says, don't do it. Do not hold, look at James chapter 2, verse 1. Do not hold uh, your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. What does that mean? Partiality. If a rich man comes in and in your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and, and a poor man comes in in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the rich man, and you make him a deacon and an elder, because he's an upstanding citizen of the community, see? Oh, we don't do that, do we? Churches don't do that, do they? You don't do that, do you? See, this is what I don't like about this type of stuff. I find myself paying attention to people who can do something for me. That's something, it's just not godly. Who's looking? Who's looking out for the lowest guy uh, at the seminary? It, it plays out all the time. The seminary, the president of the seminary walks in and everybody goes over there. Everybody wants to shake his hand. Uh, State of the Union. Here comes the president, right? And Sheila Jackson Lee gets her spot right there at the edge so that she can be the first to, you know, everybody's got to see her and she's going to shake the hand. Off. What are we doing? It, we all do it. Not just Sheila Jackson Lee. We all do it. Why are you doing that? Rich man comes in, big name guy, and you want to be associated with him, and a poor man walks in, and you don't even care. Sit at my feet. Have you not, Diacrino, made distinctions? Have you not judged? 
among yourselves and become judges with evil motives. And guess what? You're not the judge. There's only one judge, and he's not you. James is going to say that later in the book. Listen, beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised? But you have dishonored the poor man. It is, not the, uh, is it not the rich man who oppress you and drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the, the royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, it's committing sin, and you are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles on one part is guilty of the whole thing. Right? So what's going on is these Jewish believers have gone back to law keeping, and they have this theology that says, if you serve the Lord, if you keep the law, he will bless you. But they changed all the definitions for blessing to be cash money. Well, that's how you tell, see. Those who are blessed of the Lord, who have the, they, they have the most cash. And those who aren't blessed have the least cash. Can you tell about uh, someone's blessing by how much money they have in the account? Uh, at the end of the book of James, James says of Job, do you remember Job? Uh, we count those as blessed. See, James says, let me tell you who's blessed. Those who endured. Those who have had their faith tested. And that word for testing is refined by fire. Because that, that refining by fire, that process, going through the tough stuff, perfects their faith. It refines their hope, and it places their hope in Christ. Now that's blessed. So consider joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith works for endurance, and so let endurance have its perfect work, that you would be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now let no one say, when he's judged, that he's being judged by God. All right? See, because the poor man comes in, you say, well, you're judged. I can't help you, man. I can't help you. You need to shape up. If you'll start serving the Lord, he'll give you cash too. No, no, that's not how it works, right? But we hear this in our, so, so do we have any guarantees? If we serve the Lord, then we will, have, then no. So, so if you have means, wonderful. Use them for the Lord. And if you don't, wonderful. Walk by faith, right? Does that make sense? Because pure and undefiled religion is this. Look at 127. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father. That you care for those who have nothing to offer you. You care for orphans and widows. And keep oneself unstained by the world. What does that mean? What does it look like to be stained by the world? In this instance, well, he's about to tell you. Let me tell you what it looks like uh, to be stained by the world. The rich man walks in and you pay special attention to him. And the poor man walks in and you don't. Do we do that? Yeah, we do that. James says, don't do it. Now, where is he getting this instruction? It's the law. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. This changes everything, right? See the law? All right, so this is Deuteronomy. It's not just a list of things to do. It's a, it's a, it's a heart. Tyler got his question answered about the seeming contradiction in Deuteronomy 15, 4 and 11. Good. There will be no form among you. There will always be form. Okay, so, yeah, so how will there be, why will there be no poor among you? By... Um, because when you see a little girl walk into your field, who's a widow, whose name is Ruth, and she's an alien, and she's poor, and your name is Boaz, you care for her. If you listen obediently to the law, if you don't, 
There will never cease to be poor among you. So this is the law. This is how the law plays out. Even Jesus said there will always be poor among you. Right. So how does the rich man live? The rich man lives by faith. Boaz is looking for someone to bless. He sees Ruth walk into his field. He hears what she has done, that she's returned from the land of Moab with her, uh, with her mother-in-law. She could have gone back to her people and her gods. Of course, that would have Naomi's command to do that means Naomi is telling someone to follow false gods, gods of the nations. She deserves to die. Uh, Ruth doesn't do that. Ruth says, where you go, I go. Your people, my people. Your gods, my God. Where you die, I die. Not even death will separate me and you. Your bones will be my my bones. And Boaz hears of this. So he hears of this widow, alien, uh, and he takes care of her. See, he lives by the same faith. Now, how does Ruth live? Same faith. So the same faith that the, the widow alien walks by is the same faith that the rich man walks by. Both serving the Lord. How else could you put God's care, love, and display for you on display? How can you say, let me quote John in first John, how can you say that you love God that you haven't who you haven't seen? And you don't care for your brother who's right here in your midst. This all comes out of the law. This is the character of God revealed in the law. He cares for you. You care for your brother. Yeah, but what if, he's, what if he uh, doesn't pay back? So that's the point. He can't pay back. <laughs> the widow and the orphan can't pay back. The poor man can't pay back. So you care for them as I care for you. Right? What do you have that you did not first receive? And if you receive it, why do you act like you didn't? Now, that's a little bit of a different context, because Paul's talking about the revelation that the Corinthians have received. But still, it's, it's, the, same, it's the same concept, right? right. Um, is, this, is this making sense? Um, but it always talks about your brother versus someone who's just a neighbor. Well, okay. Because so it says... The, you know, the first law is to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And then the next one is to love your neighbor. Brother, neighbor, fellow countryman. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so this is good. So, so this question Jesus is asked, right? Remember the, the rich man comes up and he says, what must I do to attain eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you got to follow, you know, what, how does the law read to you? He says, well, you know, love, Lord, oh, you've answered well, do these. And he says, all this I've done, right? Um, who is my brother? Who is my name? Jesus says, let me tell you a story. All right? This is how Jesus always operates. He says, let me tell you a story. Now, a story always comes out of the law. It's always based on the law, right? And his story is, um, there's a guy out there, uh, you don't know his identity. You don't know if he's a Jew or not. He's been beaten and stripped. So you can't tell if he's your brother, your neighbor, or a Gentile, or a foreigner. And the priest walks by and he says, not my problem. And the Levite walks by and says, not my problem. Right? And then a Samaritan walks by. And the Samaritan helps him, takes him to the end, puts him up, goes away, and returns. Right? By the way, Jesus is the Samaritan in the story who comes, rescues, delivers, goes away, and is returning. So he says, so which one was more brotherly? He says, the Samaritan. He says, go do that. Right. Uh, so what happens in the story is it's not just an issue of who's your brother, who's your neighbor. The story keeps going. And Israel not only is, uh, is the brother, of the now Israel becomes the enemy. Now this is in the law too, right? Let's say that you've got this guy you have this neighbor, uh, and you hate his guts. 
I like that. That's how we used to talk when we were kids. I hate your guts. <laughs> I hate your guts. It's like, man, that, I think about that now. Like, man, that's that's that captures it, man. And I hate it. I hate it. I hate all, you all the way through your guts. I hate your guts. Right, so you hate this guy's guts, see? Uh, this is in the law. Uh, and and uh, he has an ox or a donkey under a load, right? And it, it falters. It's, it, it, it crumbles under the load. It's too heavy. What do you do? You say, well, it serves him right. I hope it dies. No, you don't. You go help him. And you deliver that ox. You deliver that donkey. Right? This is the character of God revealed in the law. So if we want to go down this Deuteronomy trail, uh, you, gotta, you get to come every week and get your heart kicked around, and you got to examine Look at yourself in the mirror. It's not fun. Now, what was the purpose of the law? This was it. To show the character of God. It's twofold. Show the character of God, number one. And part two, this is the not fun part, and show that you don't have it. So in that gap between God's character and you not having it, you've been given mercy. So if you've been given mercy, what do you do? Give mercy. The Pharisees say, I'm not giving mercy. I like it for myself, but I'm not giving it to someone else. Jesus is going to say, don't be a Pharisee. Judgment will be merciless on those who show no mercy. And in that context, he's talking about the Pharisees. But we can do that too, right? We can do that too. All right, let me close the word of prayer. We're done. Lord, thanks for our time today. And for uh, the words of Moses that still speak to us today. Uh, still have impact in our lives, still convict us of our sins, um, show us that, uh, that we are far away, far away from your character. And so, Lord, through the ministry of your spirit, work on us, change our hearts, soften our hearts to make us more like your son who loved us and gave himself up for us, even though we didn't deserve it. So we thank you for that, Lord, uh, and uh, pray that uh, you would do your work through the spirit in our lives in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.